Don't forget to check out our website, HockeyHurts.com, and check us out on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hertz. Additionally, you can follow Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stahl. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 10th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And today... We will be discussing the Pittsburgh Penguins, who dropped a 3-1 to decision to the New York Islanders this evening, leaving them in a precarious position for the playoffs. They will need to defeat the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow uh, to assure themselves a, a playoff spot. But um, do we really doubt that they'll beat the Buffalo Sabres? Um Oh, look, to be honest, I don't know. This is their first five-game five game losing streak in a, in, a, in a while, and I sit there with it and you go, what's to stop them from making it six? There's, they seem to have hit every goalie on a hot streak, and if they start Lindback tomorrow, the Sabres, he's had a couple of hot ones. So I, I don't know. It's a coin toss as far as I'm concerned at the moment. But I think one of the bigger reasons it's even a coin toss is because they're they're gassed because of the injuries but more yep. importantly um it's not even so much just the the you know replacing injured players is tough in a cap league because the guy replacing them is never going to be as good correct at least in a perfect world that's usually how it works the problem is the Penguins aren't replacing injured players with worse players. They're replacing them with no players right now because they consistently play with five defensemen because they've bungled their their cap situation. You know what? You know what's really funny is I remember a few years ago Jason Botterill was considered an absolute superstar with cap management, and he's still he is still there. So I get there and go, if he's supposed to be as good as he is, how the hell did they screw this up? And I know you can't plan for injuries in particular situations, but for a team that wants to try and compete for the playoffs, it's one of the major reasons that they've struggled at this point. I, I wouldn't put that on Botterill. I think he's clearly shown that he has a pretty solid understanding of how the, the cap actually works. And he may have made a recommendation of, let's keep this amount, but if ultimately he gets overruled and, and trades get made... Um, there's nothing he can really do about it. And without knowing the the true inner workings of how they make decisions, I I don't think I want to totally blame Botterill for the cap stuff just yet. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a couple of assumptions here in regards to decisions made at the start of the year, trying to hunt down a general manager. Who do you think made the final call on grabbing an old head? as opposed to running with what most people considered the heir apparent in Botterill. For me, this all of what's happened this year stems back to uh, either Burkle or Lemieux not being comfortable running with a general manager that has a new thought process. I think it was less the thought process and more the lack of experience. Oh, screw I'm not, you. I'm, I, I'm not saying that's that's right. I'm saying that's that's exactly what happened. Jim Rutherford's the safe hire. 
He's been yeah, a no, GM I, forever. Let's I, let's hire him and let the other guys learn from him. They, I was never suggesting you agreed with the thought process. I was just about to cut stick because <laughs> it's the wrong it's the wrong process, and it's just they do it with players on the ice, and it just shows you how much of an old school thought process the NHL is. And it's it's frustrating when it happens to your team in this manner. <laughs> this five defenseman stuff is is terrible on two fronts. Um, obviously, losing three of your top four defensemen, even if you replace them with AHL players, that's not going to be very fun at all. Tick. But, but Paul Martin is literally the only um, super legitimate top four defenseman they have in the lineup right now. And he's and he can't do it on his own anymore. He's he no. he does not move the way he did. And I'll, they've been burying him close to twenty five thirty minutes a game. He's yeah. gassed right now, so like yeah. he's worthless. Not because he's bad or not trying, but because they have put him in an absolute situation to fail. And 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 you're saying this, and I'm assuming this is the case. I'm not blaming the coaching staff for this. They're in a situation where. They have to rotate five defensemen on the ice. Now, if you've got the pick between Paul Martin playing 30 oh, minutes a game. this is coaching thing. You're absolutely correct. This and, is and Taylor, Yeah, and Taylor Chorney playing as few minutes as possible. You lean on Paul Martin as much as you possibly can. But they passed the point of diminishing returns. Correct. <laughs> Paul just doesn't have the jump right now, and I don't blame him. And... It's not for lack of effort. Neither does this is the thing. Neither does Skidarian. He has to play minutes. Neither does Lovejoy because it's not in his skill set. I think the best consistent defenseman that they've had at the moment is Ian Cole, and he's been a pleasant surprise with his enforced increase in minutes and in hot, in in important situations. So it's one of those things where I'm trying to find a positive out of a negative here. The player being Cole has been really, really good. It has, and I have no disagreements about what you're saying. He that that was a really good acquisition. He's he's playing well. The problem with having Ian Cole being one of your your better defensemen is he he's just not dynamic at all. No, there's, there's no <laughs> joining the rush. There's no skating it. Like, he, you can't make up for Chris Letang and uh, you know players of that ilk that can just totally generate offense on their own and then I, I give the puck off to a Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. That's such a yeah. bonus to have. I know a lot of us have said, you know, they're missing three of their top four defensemen, but this this roster was handling the loss of Oli Mata okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So they had the whole year, ostensibly, to, to adjust to, to missing Oli Mata. What you can't do is sit there and lose someone that you could consider to be a Norris Trophy candidate, um, and also your, your third best defenseman in, in Erhoff in regards to the way the lineup runs. And to lose those two players, plus not be able to replace them with a player and play one man down and only play the forward replacement for 35 seconds in a game that is not quite a must-win but close, you, you're asking too much of everybody on that roster. It's not, it's not like the players are trying, uh, are not trying. They're trying their ass off. They've just got nothing left. And this includes the forwards. Yeah, because the forwards have to work harder because the D aren't, cre- <laughs> they have lost so much skill on the defense that, 
Um, a lot of plays are flat-footed instead of free-flowing into time and space because nobody's dynamic. Everybody's static, a very basic, generic, uh, cookie-cutter kind of hockey player. You can see it. You can see it when they're trying to exit the zone. Everybody in the zone is an extra ten feet deeper in the zone because they know the, the defenseman can't hit that breakout pass. You've got Martin that can, um, but he's more he, he's better at that deft little pass to his defensive partner to clear space for him to make the pass. But he's chipping that to to Lovejoy. And Lovejoy hit, only hits that pass three out of ten times. So all the forwards have to drop down. Pittsburgh really struggled to come through with speed through the neutral zone at all. And when your second-best player is playing at best 65% and cannot stride out at all, you're asking for trouble. I mean, Crosby put that team on his back with Hornquist, and they, tr- they tried. You, you couldn't ask for any more out of that top line. No, it's... I don't know what to say because there's not much to say. The players are only so capable. This is just a bad situation. With the I mean, injuries. look at take take a look at, at Buffalo. Tim Murray set up that roster to be terrible, and those players try their ass off every game. The oh, players, the players always trying, will. Yeah, the players aren't trying to tank. They've just been set up to tank. The difference with Pittsburgh is that they've been constructed poorly, and it's biting them on the ass at the end of the year. It's finally catching up to their players because the players that all the responsibilities being dumped on just can't do it on their own. I mean, Paul Martin is 35. He has been fantastic this year, but he's just hitting a wall. Scuderi is 4 million years old, and he's hitting a brick wall. Like, it, you're just asking too much of the wrong players. I don't know if he's so much hitting the brick wall or just kind of knocked out beside it <laughs> like he has what? been for years. Look, he scored. I mean, he tried to he tried to miss, but he scored. I mean, the only reason he got that opportunity <laughs> he did score. was the brilliance of Sidney Crosby. I mean, anyone that tries to hang any of this on Crosby is just hating on him because it's Crosby. You can't ask for any more. No, Sid's been great. And like you said, a poorly constructed roster. There's, um, of course, the short-term discussion about their playoffs and are they going to make it in, in, in the current roster? But big picture-wise, what can they do to be better? Well, I can tell you what they don't do, and it's the easiest thing in the world, is you don't trade Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, or Chris Letang. It's as easy noticed, as that. I notice you don't put Marc-Andre Fleury in that, because usually they're considered the big four, not the big three. I, so um, it's not a slight on Fleury. That's my perception on that position no no i know that's that's the thing it's it's one of those things where um i would be shattered if he got moved but out of the four of them he would be the one if we run under your theory that all you've got to do is have average in net so you find a price point for average it gives you more cap space to fill out the rest of the roster and this roster at the moment i think has other places where the trip the fat can be trimmed yeah um so you keep them. What what can you do? And for me, um, it's it's as simple as is fine tuning those depth guys, um, guys that you should be able to identify as is not being what you need to win. Um, trading for 
Max Lapierre, that's that's not good. He has terrible possession and offensive numbers. I don't know why you would actively seek that out. Seeking out somebody I... like Nick Spalling in the Hornquist Neal trade. I I do not know why you would seek that level player knowing that you're going to have to pay him in the neighborhood of $2 million, which ended up being $2.2 million. Um, You know, I know Scuderi was the last uh, regime signing, but it still plays into their current problems with depth. That's just totally wasted money every year. Craig Adams getting a multi-year contract as a 35-plus-year-old. They can't send him down. They have him. He's part of the reason they have freaking five defensemen every night right now. What what you've just explained there, and you've you've preached this in stuff you've written, is the same reason that Boston's in trouble. They paid for past loyalty, but they overpaid for it. And, and you've got to learn because it's a hard salary cap. It's a brutal business. You can't just hang on to players for the sake of sentiment. It's just you, you can't do it anymore. You've got to have good players on ELCs so that you can fill out your roster and that's what's going to help you get to the Stanley Cup. I mean, ignore LAG this year. They're going to start having difficulty filling out that roster if they keep giving their ECL players coming into RFA, you know, three or four million dollar deals, um, three or four million per year deals. It's just, it's not going to work. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how, um, Oh, God, I've forgotten his name. What's the LAGM? Lombardi. It'll be interesting to see how Lombardi handles that, whether he's he's cutthroat or, or whether he gets sentimental on it. Because I think Chicago have done it really well. They toss some guys that you, you'd go off, oh, should they or shouldn't they? And they've managed to, to uh, renew again coming through. So Brandon Saad, guys like that, could really screw around what they're doing with their cap situation. Pittsburgh have been sentimental the whole way through. Yeah. Um, so you you just need to identify the players that are easily replaceable. And it's not so much moving them for any kind of value. It's just shedding the salary and, and, and finding a way to get better. Uh, prime, prime example of this, I, you, I think it starts with Brandon Sutter, yes? It, it does. I... Say what you want to say, because I, I, I want to try and ask you a question in a second after you, you run through this idea. Oh, I don't think it's a complicated idea. He has high perceived value around the league for some reason, and very low tangible results based on any metric you want to look at with him. Um, he needs to go. He may actually have some form of value, which is great coincidence, even though it doesn't make sense. Um you need to actively try and move him. You need better at that position. So I don't think it's it's all that complicated at all. No, no, I, it's, it's one of those things where Pittsburgh will fundamentally have a fair bit of cap space to fill out the roster next season. So they've got some depth. Well, they've got some youth coming in from their, their back end because they've got some young defensemen that they have to start playing or there's no point. Correct. But I, I'm still not sold completely that either of them will be, um, you know, hit the, the ceilings that maybe some fans think they will. I'm not saying they won't, but I, I wouldn't go in with blind confidence that Harrington and Dumoulin 
are, are going to be regular quality NHL players. They've yet to, they've yet to show that. They've had very small sample sizes. They very well could, but to to think that it's an automatic, I think, would be irresponsible. They're going to ceiling out at three and fours, I think, and and that leaves Pittsburgh in a situation that who are they going to play as the number two next to Latang next year? That's that, and, and you get there and go, well, they're going to let Martin and Erhoff walk. Correct. What are they left with? Martin. And, and, oh, sorry. Sorry, forgot about Oli Oli. Um, yeah, so it's it's tough. The question I wanted to ask you about the moving on of Sutter, and you and I have discussed this on and off the podcast before, and you've sort of answered some of it in regards to the perceived value. If you're Pittsburgh... And you've got your your thought process in regards to what you think of valuable advanced stats. Where do you where do you go to try and find an option that one is cheaper than Brandon Sutter, and two gives you at least fifty percent possession value when he has to play against the top lines? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be cheaper. It just needs to be better. There's no problem with them investing three and a half to four million on a third line center. It just can't be him. And I don't know how available some of these players are. I mean, I'm going to go through my list and, and and research to find the candidates that would make sense. But you heard Artem Anisimov's name uh, in the original David Perron rumors. Columbus was actually going to be in on David Perron, and they were thinking about trading Anisimov before he got hurt. He's a third-line center that makes a little bit more than Sutter that I think is uh, just a way better option. Um, Soderberg of Boston, they have their cap issues. He's um, may hit the open market. That would be a guy I I think is a total upgrade. Um, Is he a UFA? RFA? um, I think he's a UFA because he was from a, a European professional signing. I could yeah, be I could be very wrong on that. Yep. I'm trying to look it up right now just to be right. <laughs> um, so to, he's a UFA. It says he's a UFA. So for whatever reason yep. he is, he is. So um, if Boston can't make it work with him, that would be an interesting target, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's I, I'm just sort of sitting there. Just I'm, I've I've been an advocate of the go all in in regards to trading away draft picks to bring in players. I've I've had no argument with that. The question has been the guys that they've brought in haven't fitted what was required on the ice, and I think of Iggy in regards to the way he was used on the ice. You think of Douglas Murray in regards to what was actually given up to bring him in and the thought process that you needed to beat the Bruins with strength rather than speed. That was a misunderstanding, I think, of what the Penguins had skill set-wise to beat them. Then you look at this roster here, you've got a coach that was brought in because he preaches a possession style of game and they traded away possession players for other players that aren't strong in that skill set. So 
at the moment, it feels like there's a disconnect. No matter who the coaching staff and the general manager have been, it feels like there's been a disconnect in regards to what one half of the organisation thinks is important and what the other half of the organisation thinks is required. So I think until they sort out that gap, it's going to be a roster that has big holes in it. Fixable ones, though. Well, it's definitely fixable, but it requires two sections of the organization to be on the same page. And, and right now, it certainly doesn't appear that way. They have all the hard pieces to acquire. <laughs> they are spoiled in this regard. They have True, two that's... of the best centers on the planet of their generation. They have a legit number one defenseman, a borderline Norris caliber defenseman, which teams would kill for. And they have some okay talent behind it. But then they have just, it falls off a cliff. It's below replacement level garbage. Complete negligence, really. And the thing that's hilarious about that is people go, well, you can't fill out a good roster because you overspent on the stars. It's not overspending there. You have to pay for that talent. It's overspending on the guys that are probably in the forward ranks, probably 7 to 15 down the roster for the forwards. And and then you can look at your bottom pairings in regards to how much you've overspent there for the, the back end. But... It's for me. It really feels like there's a big transition period in hockey in general over the next five or six years for the old boys club to finally get filtered out of the league and new thought processes coming in in regards to how rosters are put together and what happens in that aspect. Yeah, it it's coming. Whether people like it or not, it's not the end all be all, but it's a it's the greatest predictive uh, tools that we have. And don't you want to be able to predict the future better? So you, you have to adapt yourself to this, increase your probability of being right. Yeah, you're as you're a, still going to be wrong on some decisions, but but yeah. you're not going to make as many of them. I don't believe. So it's either Dark. you get on yeah. this. You stop trading for Max Lapierre. In fact, I don't know why the team would sign a player like that and, and waste um, a contract because the numbers are there. They're they're obvious. It, it proves he. And I, I feel bad picking on one specific individual here. I don't I don't mean it to be about him. It's it's more along the lines of a the, the big picture with. Just, it's just your you're not getting value. There there are other players that you can choose from that that's an upgrade. And anytime you can just marginally upgrade a little bit, you do it. And that's that's why the Gotch Lapierre trade um, upset me so much. It wasn't because I think Marcel Gotch is some kind of world beater that you know is one of the better players in the league because that's not true. But I truly believe he's better by a significant margin over LaPierre. So why make that trade? Why downgrade? There's no reason for that, even if Gotch isn't a great player. And I suppose it's one of those things where if you went through the forwards, like in the 12 positions, and you go, all right, so we've taken... 
got you out of that fourth line role and put Lapierre into that fourth line role. Are the Penguins better or worse at that particular position to play that particular role? You'd go no. And you get there and have a look at the bottom six, uh, and you have a look at the defensemen. The trade for Cole and Bortuzzo, that's made the Penguins better mm-hmm. in that back six. Yep. The, tra- the, the trade for Desprey and Lovejoy in the roles they were playing before the injuries hit does not make that team better now or in the future. And I say that because Desprey has been the only player on that Penguins roster that has been able to handle the grenades, that Scuderi passes off. Everyone else has panicked and everyone else has struggled to play with it. And it makes everyone else playing with Scuderi look terrible. And, and it's one of those things where I don't care the off-ice problems that Desprey was apparently having either from what the general manager previously thought and what the general manager now thought. And you think about it, a lot of the guys that thought that previously are still there. So it's not like it's a, a full, clean sweep of two different management systems looking at this one guy. And I, I think the, the worst thing was the quote that you brought up in your article on Rutherford today. Now, that was basically, we knew that that was not going to be good for our future, that trade. Well, you damn well better be certain it's going to pay huge dividends in the present then. Kind of like how the Rangers traded for Martin St. Louis. They f- they mortgaged the future a little bit. And actually, the Rangers made a similar trade this year. They traded for Keith Yandel, knowing that giving up Duclair in a first-rounder is, you know, that's those are significant future assets. But Yandel and St. Louis are going to give you something. Correct. What, what just do you think Ben Lamjoy's ceiling is to to give up futureish kind of dividends for the now? And I just don't even see how Lovejoy is an upgrade over Dupre this moment. They're both flawed. But, yes, but there's no upgrade, so why sacrifice? I it, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that's even if Ben Lovejoy was playing okay right now. I would feel that way. But he's not. He's, he's actually playing poorly. Uh, look, I, I saw a lot of people when Ken, Ken Fowles had a much better year this year than he did last year. And I saw a lot of people on the West Coast saying, boy, has Ben Lovejoy settled Ken Fowler down and made Ken Fowler be a better hockey player. But watching Ben Lovejoy moved away from Ken Fowler and moved into a situation where, in theory, he's the better of the two defense pair of the pairing that he's playing with. That's just not the case. He's not a player that can carry. He's a complementary player. And even if he got put into the lineup with a healthy lineup, he would technically still be having to carry Scuderi. That's a bottom pairing they've set up that's just wrong. It's just you look at it in regards to asset management and player management, as in regards to what they put on the ice every game, I feel sorry for the coaching staff because they get handcuffed by the decisions made by what management think is is required. I don't think there's any communication between both sets of people. It's tough to say without having inside information, but you're looking at what the results are on the outside, and I can't blame you for coming to that kind of a conclusion 
I know I'm making assumptions. I, I, no, I, fully I know appreciate that, but you're making them based on what you see, and there's certainly logic attached to what you're saying. I mean, you read you read Myrtle's article, which was brilliant, by the way, the, the way he wrote that about Burkle and Lemieux, and it, it feels like with those two not getting along in regards to how the, the hockey department should be run, I don't think it helps the the hockey management part and then it filters down to the coaching staff. It's like everybody's keeping their cards so close to their chest they're not trusting the people they need to trust to, to help each other out. Mm-hmm. You know, for a club that, what was it, two and a half years ago was considered one of the best run hockey franchises in the sport, it's been a very quick decline in all of those sorts of aspects. The shine wore off the cup. And when you, think, you think about that 09 Cup, it was very similar to the way Ottawa is at the moment. They just peaked at the right time and ran through it. Um, they got opened up from a very defensively-minded system from Michelle Terrian, and, and just everybody clicked at the right time. I mean, Malkin was unbelievable. Crosby was exceptional. They got, you know, bit parts to chip in. I mean... Max Talbot played above his salary. Pittsburgh have got no one on that roster at the moment that is playing above his cap hit. Yeah, and even that year, Fleury wasn't um, stealing like tons of games. He had isolated moments of brilliance, but it wasn't... They weren't getting by Tim Thomas, Boston Bruins style on all-world goaltending. He he was average to below average in that run, but that team... Just did a really nice job, and, um, you know, their fourth line was uh, uh, somebody had it out there. It, it was, was Miro Chatan, Pascal Dupuy, and, and Craig Adams. Craig Adams of uh, eight years ago now oh, is better than the current version. So, I mean, you think about it. Latang was a bottom bottom pairing with, with Mark Eaton. Uh-huh. He was ECL. Malkin was, that was the last year of Malkin's ECL. So, Stall was still on his ECL. ELC. Sorry. ELC, sorry. Yeah, ELC. So, you just, you get there with it and it's like, you do have to sacrifice future draft picks and things along those lines to bring in depth. I, I appreciate that approach that they've done. It's just, whatever it is they think is valuable, is proving that that's not the right the right variable that is needed in today's NHL. Well, um, here's the thing with like how they older style GMs, Jim Rutherford, yes, mm-hmm. he comes from a time where before any analytics of of the current nature even existed, and I'm not saying he hasn't looked into some, learned some, or but like he's still going to rely on his hunches because that's how he was brought up. Yep. And and sometimes you're going to find talented guys. Like I, I, I still don't believe that David Perron trade was a bad trade, even though he's going through a stretch right now where he's not going great. Like that was a good trade, I think. Talented player. He's, getting Hornquist, good player. Um Trading for for the obvious talent isn't always the the takes the most skill. It's it's the yeah. trades that 
of the lower end players um, filtering through which lower end players or lower salary players impact the game more positively. And that's where that old school eye test mindset gets into trouble is um, you start buying into Craig Adams, the, the penalty killing specialist, Rob Scuderi, the shutdown defenseman, Max Lapierre, Lapierre the, the gritty uh, playoff forward these these are all adjectives but there's nothing that's backing up these claims if you know what i mean there's nothing tangible that shows you that that's important i think it's i think it's one of the most frustrating things when like i I love listening to hockey central because i'm a little starved for things to listen to in regards to podcasts and things like that, mainly because I probably haven't asked you <laughs> what other podcasts are there out there, but it, it, it's hilarious when you listen to guys like Bob McLean and Nick Kiprios, as opposed to you listen to guys that have just come out of the game in the last five years, their attitudes in regards to what's valuable on the ice are so polarizing in regards to what the old, what the old group of people want and what the, the new people into the media know that's valuable and and until that old group of people are out of the media and until that old group of people are out of management and the management one's the more important one than the media and, and until that old group of people are out of management you're going to see teams like pittsburgh um oh, who else is there is it pittsburgh have got what the oldest i oh, know um new jersey uh, until those teams shift and go for that fresh look on the game, th- there are going to be teams that get themselves hamstrung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Now, there's an argument to be said that eventually this advantage will go away. But if everybody's on board with it, you know, you start to progressively lose an advantage, but you always got to be looking for an edge. And the teams that aren't progressively forward won't get to that next edge first they'll be operating under the past you know standard it's like it's like surfing you've always got to be looking for that next big wave there's no point trying to jump on a wave that's already broken yeah you can so. ride a kick-ass wave but it's gonna end correct so, so get on the got... next one and, and do it all yeah. over again swim out there again and have another look at it and, and see where you can get the edge differently. Because you're right, eventually everyone will be on board with the with the advanced apps. And if you're not, you're just always going to be either middle of the road or hunting around that 26 to, to... Or you get lucky, supremely lucky one year, but that's not a guarantee. No, I mean, look at Colorado and look at Calgary this year. There's always going to be teams that buck the trend. Yeah, always. and in the opposite direction, L.A., well, well, that's the same thing. Their stats say they're great, and they missed. Uh, Calgary's stats say they're not so hot, and they made it. But that's two examples of outliers, complete outliers. They're always, that, that's the thing that I find hilarious about those that are against the, the anti-stats is that there are always outliers, positively and, and negatively, in, in regards to, to results in, for, for wins. So, I mean, Colorado were last year. And it's funny when you read the traditional media guys, and particularly with Colorado, when they get there and go, oh, last year is, is what we expect to happen all the time. This season was the anomaly. That They don't think that this season is, is what the trending 
aspects of what Colorado will produce. So basically, they're going to rely on on um, Valamov to to be um, top caliber goaltending. He can't stay healthy. If he's not healthy, Colorado are spent. And it, it's been, I have to admit, the story of Calgary has been fantastic this year because of, you know, they've lost, they lost the Norris defenseman. Um, they've run a tandem, well, technically a triple through their goaltending ranks and they just keep winning. I mean, they've had some youth guys come through like, uh, I think it's Monaghan. Um, and Johnny Goudreau have been awesome. Yuri Hoodler over the last 20 games has been fantastic. Guys have played above their cap hit, and that's what's carried them through this situation. Is it sustainable over the next two seasons? Maybe, not maybe not. Not the status quo, but they'll probably try to improve. But, yeah, yeah. absolutely. They, they have lightning in a bottle. That's what it – And run with it. Yeah, so good for them. Um that's one where us people that do the analytics are like, all right, <laughs> but know that that's not like the regular thing that occurs. I mean, th- think about it in regards to aberrations. Would you rather be the LA Kings who have been very successful over the past four years and have had an aberration this year where they've been possession monsters but just couldn't win enough games – or would you prefer to be the Calgary Flames who have consistently been poor at pushing possession and have had a, a brilliant year this year going against those those numbers? I'd much prefer to be LA. Yes, I know that the Flames have got players coming through, but they've got to look at the philosophy that Bob Hartley has and what Benning is going to think is valuable moving forward. Calgary has some real potential. They have, they certainly, they have uh, Giordano's excellent... Uh, good, yep. Goudreau, Moynihan has 30-something goals. He's like, what, 18, 19 I can't years old? Many, you get there and you see that and you just go, holy smokes, like, that's fantastic. They have Sam Bennett coming next year. Yep. Um, they're going to be the potentially really – well, they can't keep giving $2.9 million to the Derek Englands of the world. I think they'll trade. I think they'll trade him when they need to. I think they'll be able to ship him out. Someone because there's still old time GMs around. They are the old time GM. They, only the old time GM would hand him that contract. But, but I don't. I don't. I think Benning's got him, and I think Benning will be able to shift him when he needs to. I think. I actually think Benning's okay. Benning's well, in look, Vancouver, we'll see. not Calgary. What was that? Benning. Oh, sorry. Brian Burke is pulling the strings in Calgary. Yeah, well, okay, that could be the issue. <laughs> I, think, Actually, I think that is. Speaking speaking of, of Vancouver, you look at what they just signed Spezer and Dorset for. You, you go, they probably needed to be re-signed, but there's no cap space to fork out that sort of money for average and below average. Yep. It, they're just, like, they've had a really good year this year, Vancouver. Um and if they want to repeat that sort of stuff next year, they're going to have to make some changes to their roster. Everybody does. It's just the reality of, of the cap. But they're squashing space in areas that they shouldn't be squashing it. It's the problem that Penguins have got. It's the problem that Boston have got. It's the problem that, that Chicago had after they won their cup. They shipped guys out that, as a general rule, you probably wouldn't want to, but they knew they had to. But, and they got they got good returns back for cap space and allowed them to reset and bring young guys in. Mm-hmm. 
man, where where does this team go? Um, short term, long term, doesn't matter. I mean, short term. No, did we even say Chris Letang was out for the year? No, we haven't actually got to that part yet. <laughs> I guess I assumed we had already talked about it. Um, no, reel it off. He's out for the year. That unnecessary Shane Doan hit has cost uh, Chris Letang his hockey season, playing at a Norris level. Um, that that just bothers me so much that these kind of players doesn't even matter the caliber of player really that players lose time due to incidents like that that just don't need to happen but as far as the penguins are concerned they lose their best and only dynamic defenseman 50 something point defenseman and they already have too many injuries this one's not being replaced the the pittsburgh penguins season is officially cooked playoffs or not now I want them to make the playoffs because it's business. Playoff home games are money for them. I don't want them to not make money that they, you know. Would you rather have your favorite team make that money and, and know that they do invest into their product? Or do you want them to go without that money? Hey, as much as I've, as much as I've you know, knocked the the ownership and stuff like that. They spend to the cap. As a fan, you, you can't argue that they're they're not trying. Like you can't say they're not trying. They're not they're putting the team in a situation where it can succeed. It, it's just that you know you and I think they're making the, the wrong choices. It's not like um I mean that's where I think Ottawa's done so brilliantly as well. They've got an owner that is just refusing to actually spend money in a department that from what it seems Brian Murray can do okay. He just needs money to do it. Yeah, he's not getting that money. No, that's that's exactly right. And that's going to keep Ottawa sitting in that, you know, 7 to 13 in the Eastern Conference. Because they'll never tank right out. They'll never fall right out of it. Because they'll always, Murray seems to be able, have a great um, scouting staff to be able to find those um, Mark Stones and Hoffman's and, and things along those lines. Well, yeah, sorry, forgot about how did I forget about him? Um, you, you find guys like that, and you're always going to hover around that area unless your owner is willing to pop you to the cap. Um, guys like Brian Murray are kind of neutered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the Penguins aren't. But I think the GMs have taken advantage of that. They, they see a lot of cap room spend to the cap ceiling and go a little free spending and don't actually think about maybe some of the values they're getting back. Um, it's like a bunch of, it, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. One on its, its, one o- one on its own doesn't m- make a big deal, but when you can consistently make poor depth choices, even if it's overpaying by 500,000 every single time, that adds up. Wow. Look at the... Penguins now, I mean, 5D. because Jesus that, Christ. it's one of those, you know what's really weird, you could see the direction that Shero was taking, you could see what he had planned, right, you, 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 you had an idea, Pittsburgh at the moment don't look like they've got a clue what they want to do, they, like you said, it's just like Rutherford was, they, they've said to Jim, 
two years, go for it, do what you want. And, you know, admitting that you've traded away a big-bodied defenseman who can skate, actually make a first pass, and can hold on to the puck when under pressure for a guy that's average at best and, and admitting that it's a short-term deal, not a good sign if you're a Penguins fan and you want to see the club be good for a long time. The window for Pittsburgh is longer than people think. Mm-hmm. It is. Crosby and Malkin, yeah, they're, they're on the downward point in regards to their peak, but they're... Their peak's going to be better than their peers for a long time. Correct. That's exactly right. And that decline will be a slow, flat decline. It will not be a Chris Kunitz, I cannot score, I've just jumped off the cliff. Look at Joe Thornton, decline. for crying out loud. Yeah, brilliant example. Absolutely brilliant example. The Sedin twins, another one. Yeah, and, and don't point to their, do they have a cup or not? That like, Give me a break if you're a Penguins fan making that statement. Crosby and Malkin haven't done shit since that Stanley Cup as far as playoff success, but would could anybody possibly think that they're the problem? I know some people do, but they're insane. <laughs> but Sedin's, Thornton, they're awesome. And they're older, and their peak, or, or the, I'm sorry, their declining status is still better than most players' peaks. Yeah, that, that 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 decline of theirs is extremely close to a flat line. Like the gradient of that decline is is very very small. It's it they, they are really really fun to watch, and they still produce. Um, it, it looks like it was a Tortorella situation in regards yeah, to what oh, yeah. happened to them last year. It, it really can hockey. It, I love this sport, but by God, it, it's amazing. It's amazing what old heads and new heads do in regards to the influence on what happens on the ice. Mm-hmm. But to, to think that, yes, technically they're in decline on their own personal scale, but to think that they're not going to continue to, to be, uh, I'm talking Crosby and Malkin, to think that they're not yeah. going to continue to be just totally terrific is asinine and quite frankly we watch hockey because you know obviously we all and at least myself and you we enjoy looking at the stats stuff of it but of course we're watching the game we we love watching hockey i want to watch Sidney crosby and evgeny malkin because they're damn entertaining they are i can't i can't watch I tell you what, if you took Crosby and Malkin out of this Penguins lineup right now, I don't know if I'd watch. I'd watch other teams. Hey, look, we've had to watch Pittsburgh with just Crosby of late. I mean, yeah, but Malkin you can still tune in for Sid. You can always yeah, just I, tune in for Sid. But I, I get what you're that. saying. Take those yeah. two guys away. I, I I don't know if I'm watching this product. Well, you can make that argument for. This is the thing. You get there with Otto, and you go. I'm watching Ottawa for Eric Carlson. Simple as that. Yeah, I'll take this so, one. He, yeah, he is he is a lot of fun to watch, and he is good. Say what you will about his defensive shortcomings in his own zone. He's gotten better at that stuff. Um, but he is great fun to watch. The way he drew Doughty uh, as well, the way they control the pace and tempo of a game and their ability to make players around them better, it's just really, really fun to watch. And there, are, you, you could probably pick 
22 teams in the league that have got at least one player that makes you go, you know, I'll watch that game instead. And the um, Pivots have two or maybe even if you consider Latang well, one, three. Yeah, they've, got, they've got three of them. And when you get all three of them out on the ice together, if the, if the other team's not shorthanded, they are fantastic together. They really, really are. And it's really, really fun to watch. And as Penguins fans, when you think about what we've got to watch over the last 20 to 25 years, we've been reasonably blessed. Reasonably. There's no reasonably about it. Okay. So I understand. We've been most blessed. <laughs> so it, 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 was, it was kind of disappointing hearing that the Penguins fans booed the players after the game today. Yeah. With the, the, they're that's... being put in a position to fail right now. Effort is so not there. Yes. Trying their asses off. Yep. It's not a good, well-planned situation. I man, booing the players in that situation. I I just don't. I don't know. You know what? Was I don't really know how you can about... come to that conclusion. What What was funny about today's game is I'm watching Halak and I'm going, "Oh God, it's 2010 all over again." <laughs> you know. Yeah, but that 2010 team was better than this one. Oh, no, no, I appreciate that. But it's not like they didn't have grade eight quality chances. And you sit there and look at it and you just go, Halak was good. He had a few dicey moments. And who knows, if that goal that well, was a it goal... Well, went in, but slapped, I don't blame them for calling it the way they did. Well, it's one of those things. That's a completely different situation if the official calls it a goal. And you get there with it and go, well, they haven't put... They haven't put digital things inside the puck yet so that you know where the puck is across the line. Um, the rules are what they are. It was the right call. The official couldn't see the puck. You've got to call it a no goal. You go to Toronto to try and see. If anyone tried – I watched the, the Madison – I watched the Islanders broadcast. Yeah, I did and as if, well. Uh, if it, even they said it was a goal, but you can't see the puck, so you can't call it a goal. They're the rules. I mean, it sucks for Pittsburgh. It seems like they've sort of got the the bad rub of a lot of those calls over the course of the season, but that's the way it is. You can't change those rules. No, that was a tough break, but, you know, you don't have to give up a damn shorthanded breakaway five seconds later. That was a good shot, but that was poorly played by the team in general. Everybody oh, yeah, involved that's not, in... on, uh, that's not on Flurry. That was, that was poor play in front of him on that one. Yeah. Everybody involved in that. How Martin and, and Malkin, after the lost draw, can allow... I can't even say Casey Zizekas' name properly. No, you didn't. Um, you just did. <laughs> to, to break out like that is just baffling to me. I, I, and you kind of can't blame it on Martin because you'd expect Gino to back up from there. But the decision on that was just was just terrible. I mean, Fleury got beaten twice to the glove side today and his glove was pretty good they were both reasonably good shots that beat him on the glove side um it's just disappointing to to watch this season wind down the way it has purely because they can't field 6d it's man that's i'm still blown away at that I know, Pouliot, you don't plan for that injury, but you still got Taylor Chorney in the lineup instead of Dumoulin and Harrington. But 
Do, uh, but Pouliot shouldn't be relied upon. He's a rookie. He should be playing bottom six minutes. No, I get all that, and, but like even with him in the lineup, they still had Chorney. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but Harrington I mean, and Dumoulin are better than Chorney, but they make too much, yeah. and that goes back to the cap management and how absurd yeah. that is. Yeah, but and well, you go ahead. I was just going to say, where where do you lie? You look at, at Harrington and Dumoulin's cap hits. Does that blame still lie with previous management? No, not their, their does, cap hits are manageable. You're talking they're at like 800,000 versus 550. Yeah, so this is why I'm asking the question. You get there and go, it's been what's happened this year. And I know you, you can't put players on their, you know, the long-term injury list because of the timing of the injuries was really piss poor, but... They've been so tight on the cap the entire year. They've had no flexibility to, to none. move Absolutely players. None. It, it comes down to you can't – if you get there and go, we're just going to buy out Scuderi, you end up with, you know, what is it, half of his cap hit still sitting on the on the cap. It's the same with Craig Adams. So, you know, Adams is gone at the end of this year. They're going to have flexibility. What worries me is the thought process in regards to what they think is valuable on the ice. That's where I start to get worried. If Johnson even comes back next year, and I can't believe I'm even saying that sentence, they need to get players that can handle the puck, not turn it over, and get it into the offensive zone so that the skilled players can do something with it. At the beginning of the year, they looked really good. But everyone was on the ice. No, I know. I'm saying, like, I, I don't think this is a Mike Johnston thing, to be honest. I don't, oh, I don't great. agree with all his personnel choices on game day, but I think systematically X's and O's, just the, instead of automatically going north with the puck all the time, take a look to your side. If you see nothing with speed, it will regroup and we'll try it again. And you continue to to keep it that way, and eventually you'll you'll find that proper seam, and you'll be better for it. Particularly when your skilled players are, you know, the top end of of the league. As a general rule, if you keep the puck and get the puck in on their stick, you're going to be better off than not. You almost have free zone entries when Crosby and Malkin are on the ice if you hit them with any sort of speed. Unless they're on the power play. Oh, God. That, that power play is terrible. And that's a, that's a topic for a whole different a whole different podcast. Yeah. But it's just... it's for, you can, Those of you that are listening, you can obviously tell that, that we're frustrated... <laughs> With what's with what's going on for the whole year, you know, I haven't given up on the year. Who knows? I have. Theory could. T- I know you have. Well, um, I, I hate to say give up. I, I'm still going to be super interested in the games if they make it. Um, I, I'm just not expecting uh, Stanley Cup at the end of this road no, without I, Crystal I, I'm Tank. Not, I'm, I'm not either. Look, I think the only way that they they don't get swept as if Fleury plays out of his skin. And he's had a year that proves that he could do it, but good grief, his last 10 to 12 games have been bad, and it's coincided with particular defensemen falling out. Um, 
he's not being shaky by any means. I mean, you look at the fact that he's give, he gave up three goals against New York tonight. He gave up three, four goals against Ottawa, and he was Pittsburgh's best player for probably 50 minutes of that game. And his statistics are taking an absolute battering at the moment. And if you were just watching his numbers, you'd go, well, he's just rounding out into his playoff form. The games are starting to matter, and it's all sort of crumbling around him. But he's not letting any... I don't think he's let, he's not letting any of the normal leaky goals that he would let in. He's been beat on some ridiculously good shots. No, oh, he's been fine. I, yeah, he's certainly not not at fault here at all, really. No, but I don't think he's got any any. He's got no room left to be any better. So for him to have the ability to steal a game is no. You need Sid, uh, Gino, and him all playing at their ceiling. And I'm not and so sure no, all three can do that for four four rounds. Oh, I'm not expecting them to. I'm not expected to get out of the first round. I'm expected to win a couple of games in in the in the first round. Push it maybe to six. Most likely, probably five. Unless they get Montreal, um, then I'll I'll you know. Well, I don't know. I can't see Kerry Price dropping two or three percent. The, Pittsburgh are going to need. Yeah, but that's for, the matchup that they can win. I No, I agree with that. You're not going to hear me argue that at all. I don't want Pittsburgh to play anyone in the Metropolitan full stop. Um, so they need to they need to be that that first wild card spot if they're going to be if they're going to be any any chance at all of 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 winning anything in the playoffs. But it's one of those things where Pittsburgh are probably going to need. Mark Andre Fleury to step up five percent, and Montreal just have to rely on Carey Price being Carey Price. I can't see him dropping that two or three percent for Montreal to struggle. I know they're missing Pacioretty. I I appreciate that, but I would much prefer to be in Montreal's situation, having a goaltender that has been lights out all year and has shown no sign of faltering. Um, the only chance Pittsburgh have got just run Price. No, just no, you steep, no. just you steep Downey. Just do what no. everyone expects Downey to do. I'm and not just run him. No, I don't want to see that. I'm not advocating that, everyone. Before you go nuts, <laughs> I think Sid and Gino playing at their ceiling nullifies Price. But can they both play at their ceiling now in the climate of you know of how things are called now? I'm not. I'm not sure you can. Oh, look, that's a conversation. No, for but day as I well. mean, that's what Pittsburgh would need to have realistic chance without Latang is to have the ability for Sid and Gino to draw more calls, get more space, but that's that's not how it is. And they're no. going to need help, and I'm not sure where they're going to get it from. You look at Gino, though, and he's he's skating on fumes. Yep. He's like. Nothing. The fact that he, he got on the ice last game, this game, and obviously in tomorrow's game against Buffalo, you just get there and go, he shouldn't be on the ice. But he's out there because he knows that the other teams have to respect him. And it makes things easier for Sid. He didn't look particularly comfortable out there, yet he still made some good plays that you know created chances. And, so, and only a player of that caliber that hurt can, do can that. still create anything. Yeah. Yeah, 
I know. So all those all those morons, and I am actually pointing the finger at you, Mark Madden, oh, that geez. says that says, oh, you know, think about trading, you know, Malkin. It's like, sorry, but fuck off. It's just ridiculous. You, you don't, you, you never win when you trade a talent like that. I mean, Yeager's a bad example, but you never win when you trade generational talent. Never. just doesn't work. It, it doesn't make sense on any level. No. Why is paying a premium for talent a problem? It's overpaying for average that's the problem. Well, it's even below average. I mean, well, you no, but what... that's it goes at both the middle and the lower tier is overpaid, and then you pay the premium guys, and it, you usually get good value out of them. It's the mid and lower tiers where the value is totally skewed, and it comes down to that romantic nature of, of what it looks like general managers in the NHL have got. Oh, we need to reward him and keep him here because he's done this for us before and he'll do it again. And they, they, the players deserve an increase in, in money. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but you can't keep your team together and still expect your top players to perform when so much of the load gets thrown on them when the players that you've just paid for in the bottom six are underperforming for their roles. Makes life tough. It does. You know, I mean, Bo Bennett looked better in this game. Um, the line, actually, the line of Spalling, Como, and Downey. No, it was Lapierre. Well, no, no, no. Those three actually got out in the ice together, and they actually looked okay. And you go, there's a third line. That's the line they're supposed to be. They were actually thrown in a position to do well. They cycled the puck well. They kept it in deep. They got a few shots. Um, and you go, that's the position they should be playing. It's just unfortunate that they're not actually given this, uh, a situation to play in that role. Yeah, you throw Como and, out there in a fourth-line role. It's like, hey, all right, this this is pretty okay. But when, yeah, and that's when you thing. have to rely on him to be on Malkin's wing, it's like, ah, is he, is he, is yeah, he going to produce tonight? I mean, uh how, how hard is Malkin going to have to work tonight to make this work? And that's not that's not that's not laying it out on Como. He's playing out of position. That's that's the reality of the situation. And I know that injuries have forced that when you get there and you look at what happened with with Dupuy. It, it really screwed up the the lineup in that regards. The fact that Kunitz cannot hit the side of a barn at the moment, and when he does, the goalkeeper stops it. it it's one of those things where. The Penguins have been forced into that situation because of those issues, but they shouldn't be in that situation. It's like the replacements in the roster, the coaching staff not having faith in the youth to bring him up and put him in that spot is baffling to me. Yeah. You know, you hear you hear the threat of bringing in, is it, Kasperi Kapanen that's come across from Sweden. Yeah, and he had an impressive uh, first game. Yeah, so you hear the threat of throwing him into the playoffs if the Penguins make it to try and fill in a top six role. I know Bennett's playing on two knee braces, but he's the logical the logical brain to put on that right wing for Malcolm to replace Como. He's got the brain to do it. Yeah, his legs are out because he's not been able to work on them, but he can at least think close to the level that Malcolm does. 
He can get into the right spots. He can at least get the puck to Malcolm where Malcolm wants it. Como got one thing. He can shoot. And at the moment, he's, he's, Shooting percentage is starting to pull back to where his career average has been. That's not his fault. It's just the reality. Yeah, I mean, you know how I feel about it. It's it's really a usage thing with him. Uh, and, you know, coupled with the fact that, he yes, I, I do agree, he, he could have um, been a little bit better in the role that they gave him. But I, I still think it, it was a, a setup for failure situation. I just think he's looked okay when he's played with guys that have a little bit of talent, let alone I mean, he he was flying until he broke his wrist. So once again, it comes down to he's not been as good since he broke his wrist. And I think the injury management of this organization has a lot to be Desired. It's not. It's really hard to prevent injuries in in this particular game. I mean, this is the only sport I know where you can get absolutely caned into a non-moving object, and, and you're going to get injuries. It's how you recover from them that's the important part. If everyone goes into the season at 100%, tip top, aerobically and, and and muscularly peak condition, and they get injured. They're at a better base to come back from their injury. But I think Pittsburgh rush their players back two or three weeks every time. Like, I think Erhoff shouldn't have come back against Washington, um, particularly because the game before he went out on the pregame skate, he had dizzy spells. That's why they didn't play him. I have absolutely no idea why they played him against Washington. Sit him out for the couple of weeks. They're missing Erhoff right now. They're paying the price now for poor injury management. It's the same with Gino. Brought him back too early. Earlier in the year, re-injured the same injury. Now you can barely skate. It's just lucky that it's Gino. It's just it's one of those things. If Como's wrist wasn't wasn't right for him to be able to be the player he was before he got injured, don't bring him back. Build him up so that when he comes back from who cares if it's the last ten games, he's going to produce the way he was. I know I know there's that perception that hockey players rush themselves back in, and I get why that happens. But the the medical staff need to be much further of that in that organisation. Yeah, well, we've seen guys come back and then have to leave for the same ailment uh, multiple times. So, and I haven't even mentioned Olimata or Sid. That one, or did you? That one dropped absolutely nuts. Did you mention Sid? Yeah, this oh, not in that particular situation, but the Oli Mata one this year, I said before the start of the year when they were predicting that he will come back and play game, I said there's no way he should. There's no way in the time frames that he had that shoulder surgery, did, did the rehab, and then come back. There's absolutely no way he should have come back as early as he did. I couldn't care less if Mata only played half the season, as long as it was the back half of the year and he was healthy. Uh, it's just baffling to me how that worked out. Yeah. So, let's pretend they do make the playoffs. <laughs> okay. And beat Buffalo tomorrow, which I think they will. It's a fair pretend, yeah. Uh, salary cap goes away. So, they won't be playing short anymore. And in fact, it opens up the opportunity to call up any uh, AHL guys. Will they? 
do you think? Well, I have to. They have to call up Harrington and Dumoulin just no, I flat mean out. more from a, a forward standpoint. My my preference would be to call up uh, Farnham and probably Wilson and sit Lapierre and Adams. But the likelihood of, of that happening, considering that they traded for Lapierre and the obvious ego that happens with general managers, I just can't see that happening. That's just the way I'd look at it. Yeah. Um, well, Craig Adams won't be in. He was the extra forward tonight. They they played thirteen. He got thirty five seconds of ice time in the entire game. And that was so he's going to be the scratch. So then you can you replace LaPierre with call up. Do you think that was Johnson sending a message? <laughs> yeah. Saying, I don't value you as a player. I'm not going to play you at all. Who dresses no, no, and only not, plays 30 seconds? Not, not so much to Craig Adams. I meant to management. Because oh, he could yeah, quite I get easily, what you're saying. Like, you should he have that extra easily, forward and be like, yeah, I'll give you seven minutes. Yeah. He could have done that. And I think he did the right thing by just saying, no way. Because he's below replacement level for everything but shot suppression. It's the only thing he's not... And in fact, he's actually very, very good at shot suppression. But that's it. He provides nothing else. And that's at five on five. So for a team that cannot buy a goal at the moment, you do not need a player like him on the ice. <laughs> Who would you bring up from from Wilkesbury? Not Farnham. I would uh I would look towards Rust or Wilson. Or even Magna before Farnham. Who was the first one you mentioned? Rust. Oh, Rust, sorry. I just. Oh, Rust or Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Magna, depending. It'll be interesting to see. 25 goals for Wilkesbury. I mean, he's not inept with his hands. No. it It is one of those things where. I suppose, once again, it comes down to once they get some freedom with their roster choices, what happens? That's what interests me the most is it might show what they value, what they don't, and they were just handcuffed by poor cap management. That's why I'm really interested in what happens in the offseason. I want to see who, who they decide to bring in, what that player has value-wise on the ice, whether they're possession players or really good shot suppression players, um, and whether there's that unfortunate term grit um, or great team leader um, into the roster and then see what happens in, in that aspect. I mean, the thing that I find quite amusing is that the one player I thought would be quite good to come onto the roster is the one player that destroyed the Penguin season, and that's Shane Dones, and I know you don't agree with me on that. No, he's garbage. I don't think so, but um, yeah. Nah, he's he's not that good. He's also not that bad. I mean, you can say the same thing about Perron. Back into the little cap value argument. How are you going to fit that five mil in there? You don't give you close to what you well, need I, for that. I was suggesting that you ship out two players I for him and ship them out for somebody different. 
Oh, God, this could just tailspin into a whole world. No, it's just shutting down Shane Doan. You don't want to... No, 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 I just... I was looking at it in the... This is bad after the way I've railed on short-term options, but I was looking at it in regards to this year and next year and taking Shane Doan on as opposed to having Spalling and Sutter in the lineup. but that was when... Gotch was still in the lineup and could play a third a third line role, and and that was probably the thing that ticked me off the most when Gotch left is that they had a suitable replacement for Brandon Sutter if they shipped him in. Well, not a suitable replacement, it, but they weren't going to get worse. It would have been status quo. Yeah, but shipping shipping Brandon Sutter out gave them freedom to do something. No, no, else I get that part of the, it. I'm just saying, yeah. Gotch isn't better than Sutter. He's just not really worse, and he's much cheaper, so why pay a premium when you don't get anything on that return? Yeah, that, that was that was probably the way I, I looked at it, was you get you get rid of Sutter, and you've got you know a much larger cap space. For whatever you do in that trade, you can get something back that is better for that position, or you, you fill out a different roster spot, and... You've got the trickle-down depth on the wings, which is something that Pittsburgh fans have been crying for for a while. And you go, well, Gotch isn't going to be any worse than Sutter, but our top six is going to be deeper. So it's, yeah. I mean, I'm spinning myself around in circles on that conversation. No, I've, I've had it. the direction that you went in. If you shave just the salary of Sutter, you can go in a different direction to get better, even. Yeah, you can do whatever it just, with it, the money. You have more money, and you're not yeah. getting worse. That's the yeah. point. No, totally agree. Totally agree. And and it's one of those things where, like you said before, I, Rutherford's made some made some good moves through this through do. this year. I mean, but then they counteract them with crappy ones. But Pittsburgh it, Pittsburgh are going to rely on Rutherford not making old man moves, and. Well, he is. That's where I start to get worried in the off season. Yeah, well, I agree. And... I'm going to write some <laughs> things this summer. They're not going to do them. I'm not saying I'd be right, but what some of the things they're going to do, it's it's going to fly in the face of logic. No, I agree. I I, I totally agree. And you just you get there with it. And look, thankfully for Pittsburgh fans, we're not the only franchise that are afflicted with general managers that think the way Rutherford does. Most, so most have whilst, this issue. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So um, it's not um, death to the Penguins' chances over the next five years, but it just makes it a little bit harder for them. That's all. Um, so we'll we'll see as Penguins fans what happens. Yeah, and in the short term, they can win in Buffalo tomorrow, get those home games, make some money, maybe move on to the second round. I don't know. But I know I'd rather watch Crosby and Malkin um, longer than shorter. I agree, So yeah. I hope yeah, they make yeah, yeah. it. Um, I don't have high expectations, but that's fine. Just play as long as you can play. Those guys are worth watching. And it sucks about Latang. But that's not changing, and couple that with Dupuy, Latang, Dupuy, Mata, all no option for the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, I, those I, are guys if, they're counting I, on. 
I know. If I was Christian Erhoff thinking about the fact I'm about to be an unrestricted free agent next year, I probably wouldn't think of rushing back, but that's not how players think. No. But... Do you still think Minnesota's the the dark horse? In the West? Obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like them. Dubnik's playing well, um, but it's not the Carey Price situation to where he, he can play okay, and, and the Wild actually have a pretty decent team behind him. So okay yeah. may be good enough on some nights, some nights it won't, but he's shown to have a ceiling this year where he's been excellent. And he's if got a gap. And playing yeah, okay with him excellent, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah. So... It, it, it's, it's funny, you know, as close as the race in the East has been for playoff position and just getting a playoff spot, it still feels like the East, there's a big gap between the best in the West and the best in the East. Well, I, I want to say that the points this year for in the standings is the highest ever for the eighth seed. It is, it is I think, it's isn't it? Minimum of 97 right now. Pittsburgh has it. Yeah. Um, but Boston can jump them to 98, but 98 points is the, is the low seed would be one of the higher ones. I would imagine. I think so. I mean, I, I think that I, I look at the Rangers, Tampa and Montreal. And to me, they feel like the only three teams in that Eastern conference that could compete with, any team in the West that gets in, and I look at I look at what Winnipeg and Calgary offer, and if they got that far in a magic run, I would back the Rangers and Montreal to make it to to win it. That that would be how I'd look at it. No, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see how because some of the matchups aren't. Actually, most matchups aren't even set. I think just Calgary and Vancouver is right now. I think you're right. I think that's the only one that's locked in. I mean, that's going to be the fun part for us. Yeah, tomorrow doing, yeah, uh, one who to... plays who. That's going to be really exciting. Yeah, and then we should do our one to sixteen. Yep, we'll we'll do a playoff pre-podcast and and pick who we think for the series and and maybe in the future. So. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to just see what the Penguins do tomorrow. Hopefully their season continues. I I enjoy watching them play, especially the Stars. So, But we'll see. Yeah. Fingers crossed, Penguins fans. <laughs> but it really shouldn't change the big picture moving forward, whether they make it or fizzle out in the playoffs. You keep the studs and you work on the rest, and, and that's just what you do. And I don't trust them to just yeah, do that. Yeah, but that's, that's what you got to do. So, well, I guess uh, I probably, we'll see what happens that's tomorrow. That's probably good. Very true. So, until um, till next time, I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Thank <laughs> you.